Hey, y'all. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Politically Non-Binary. I'm Ariel Isaac Norman, your host, and I just got back from six weeks on tour, uh, mostly along the West Coast. That was really fun. And this is another episode that I recorded on my travels, this one in San Francisco with my friend Anusha. Uh, She had a really counterintuitive idea that I did not see coming. And so we explored that. uh, And it also led to an idea for my Patreon slash Substack. So stay tuned for that. And remember, anytime you want to support me, it's so easy to do so. You can rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend about the podcast, send me money, whatever. You know, there's, uh, you know, the ways to support people. But I'll say it every time because, you know, because you could be tuning in for the first time. Blah, blah, blah. But Patreon, uh, all that kind of stuff, we'll mention in the podcast. I don't need to bore you with that now. Just enjoy the episode with Anusha. This is Zach with the Texas Yurt Company, a proud sponsor of Politically Non-Binary. Don't know what a yurt is? Check us out online at www.texasyurts.com. My statement is that, like, the, uh, like, emphasis on, like, math and science, especially in academic, like, university academic settings, is, like, a, a psyop to keep people out of the humanities where they could actually be dangerous. Really? Yeah. So you think we have too many STEM people and not enough humans? More than too many STEM people. I think that we suggest like, oh, like math is for smart people. The best, if you're, you know, in the top 1% intelligence, you should be in physics and be getting a physics PhD and like invent, find, you know, discovering quarks or whatever. Yeah. And I think that is like a form of like state control in that. We're saying, like, if if you have your smartest people, like, you'd rather have your smartest people playing with knots and surfaces than, like... Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. So you have the smartest people working on technical stuff. Technical, purely theoretical stuff that can't affect anyone meaningfully anytime soon. Like, And, and so if we had more intelligent people who were, like, thinking about society... Yeah, like, if... If I could have my, like, govern, if I could have my smartest people, like, play with knots and shapes and things like that, instead of engineering, like, empire-destroying memes, Mm. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna really glorify the importance of those knots and shapes. Wow, okay, yeah, I'd never thought about it this way before. So, actually, it's a good thing that I didn't go into academia, um, and... Yeah, your top 1% intelligence is spreading ideas. Yeah, and I, okay, great, cool. This makes me feel so much better about my life because, you know, my dad has a PhD in math and like I started doing computer science and like I was at the highest, like, you know, I was like three years ahead in math and all that kind of stuff. And then I just kind of let it fade away. But you didn't fall for the trick. That's good. I didn't fall for it. Now I'm a comedian. So take that government. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I'm going to take down exactly because I want to take down a lot, but um, in a way that's doesn't leave us with the kind of anarchy where we're all getting killed and raped all the time. That sounds good. Yeah. So do you feel like you're using your intelligence uh, in a wasteful way? What what brings this up? Um, I mean, I don't, like, personally, I don't, I don't think I'm a top 1% intelligence person. Oh, well, I'm not, for the record, I'm not saying that I'm. (laughs) Yeah, no, of course. I do think that. Like, I, I'm an electrical engineer. I work for a company that makes Wi-Fi devices. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, well, that, I think that that's fine. I don't think I'm changing the world mm-hmm. in any way. I think that... I'm trying to think. 
I, yeah, I don't think that I'm using my intelligence to destroy the state at this time. I also don't know if I would have the capacity to. I've also devoted most of my energy for like my whole life into being good at math and science mm -hmm. and not good at the humanities. Um, but as someone who has like a latent interest in metaphysics, it's easy. Once you start reading that stuff, you're like, there's so many dangerous ideas in here. Like, no wonder they try to keep us away from it. What are some of the dangerous ideas that you've encountered? Um, like, if you read Hegel, like, just kind of generally, like, if we think about, like, like the, the power of abstract ideas to change society or any, any historical, any theory of history in general, it becomes more and more clear that, like, there are like huge ways to affect change, and, like with serious study of those ideas. But it's impossible. There's no incentive right now to study those ideas. There's no money. There's no right. And we have an economy that's so not only like powered by money in in, in pretty inescapable ways, but where it's it's hard not to want all of the stuff. It's hard not to want money because you're either going to be really uncomfortably poor and not have health care and all that without money, but with money, you can buy yourself things that kings would have never dreamed of 30 years ago. For sure. And beyond money, I also think it's like a status indicator. Mm -hmm. Like physics PhDs famously make very little money. Like it's like only like 13% or something of people who start physics PhDs actually finish them. Mm. And only like 8% of those become professors. Like most physics PhDs are like just working for like little to no money to yeah. get, to be unemployable. And these are like our smartest people. These are people who can comprehend like multi-dimensional planes and these tiny things and these huge things that at least I can't wrap my head around no matter how many math textbooks I read. So you're saying, like, if you could give advice to someone who was thinking about, who was that intelligent, who was going into the physics PhD programs, that you would say, stop, 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 like, take that big brain of yours and study the world maybe more broadly. Study metaphysics. Study, study metaphysics. Political science. Study political history, philosophy. History and political philosophy and political science and change the world instead of uh, focusing on the whatever fun little problems in physics. <laughs> the that toy problems the they toy give problems. you to stretch your mind and make you tired so you don't do anything else. I think do you, you think there's like a concerted effort, like that people actually consciously are wanting are those kind of intelligent people to be distracted? I think like things like the Large Hadron Collider and things like that, like I, I do I do understand why people think they're and there probably is some like broader search for truth inherent to that. Yeah. And I think it's all like kind of a, a conspiracy. Like they're toy problems. They're fun. You can't even make weapons out of most of so it. So the Large Hadron Collider is basically like those wheels that you give a rat. Yeah. But it's, think, a, it's a giant rat wheel for humans. It's a rat wheel for, for smartest the smartest people. humans. That's kind of how I feel about like quantitative finance, too, which is what a lot of physics PhDs end up doing if they want to make money, mm. um, where you're like moving money around in markets. Right. Um, this is like, you could you know, have to argue it's like, kind of a more imperialistic conspiracy because like that moving money around like coincides with like suffering for people or like it's right. moving markets that aren't the markets in the rich countries. Right. But it's still kind of a similar idea of like, this is like a game, um, quants work really, really hard and they do the hardest math and they solve the dumbest problems. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It's our whole economy. We also have 
whether it's middlemen and paper pushers or even just, yeah, the yeah. quantitative, what did you call them? Quanti- quantitative finance. Qu- quantitative so finance. Quants. quants is what you call quantitative finance people. Yeah. That's good. They should have an insulting little name. Yeah. It's- since Yeah. So what they're basically doing is moving money around so that the rich get richer, they get some money, and then other people get screwed. Yeah. And this is, again, like the, the humanity's brain capacity is being like dialed into like these financial problems and i think we see this more broadly too if you look at like i guess not anymore now that the market has crashed but like if you looked at what startups were being invested in like two or three years ago so many of them were just like innovating on payment rails in general like we in general money is like a a tool it's like it's a jobs creation program in and of itself Mm. so it kind of makes it like makes sense that moving money around would be something that the smartest people would also care about but yeah but it's kind of sad, ultimately. Okay, because we, because I remember for the last several years, many years, twenty years, there's been a whole talk about how we need to get more people into STEM. Uh, like, if everybody's going to get a bachelor's degree at least, then um, let's get these people. Like, why everyone's getting these humanities, worthless humanities degrees, and that we should, you know, make sure people are getting practical um, education, practical degrees, whatever. But you're saying. No, maybe some people who are going to college who aren't that smart. Let's I'm just trying to clarify. Maybe some there are people who like aren't that smart, and they're not the top one percent who are going to be solving these problems. But there's some people who maybe should be going to technical schools, learning trades, whatever. Maybe instead of getting their humanities degrees, and then some of these people who are getting math and science degrees should be getting humanities degrees. Yeah, I mean, I think people should do what they want, and I think that that indexing that you mentioned of, like, oh, like, people get either, like, a useful STEM degree or a worthless humanities degree is, like, reflective of this pattern of, like, siloing away the, like, importance slash value of studying these, like, less, you know, practical, whatever, economic value um, generating problems for ones that actually, like, advance the, the humanity. I do think that this is, like, especially funny because, like, once you get to the top, like, a physics PhD or a math PhD, people often consider those worthless degrees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it circles around a worthless, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, the so horseshoe you, theory of worthlessness. <laughs> yeah. Horseshoe, worthless. But, but that's also a misshapen horseshoe because it feels like the degrees themselves are generally worthless other than... A handful of like, I mean, graphic design and like, I think if you if you get like an audiovisual skills or um, you know medical profession stuff, whatever, like there's some real things that you can do. But but like, it was I guess you said like, oh, they're being they're looking at all these theoretical problems. But I guess in the humanities, it's also like theoretical problems. You just want their theory theoretically minded brains to be working on um, problems of restructuring society versus restructuring atoms or whatever. Yeah, restructuring society. And I'm not like saying like, oh, like we would have like affected Marxist theories or something by now had Mm -hmm. we um, like invested in the humanities as much as we invest in STEM education. But I do think like there are like real questions about like like real advances we could make in philosophy and metaphysics and like studying the occult that we don't because we like silo away the smartest people from that. And there are plenty of smart people studying this, but there could be so many more. Yeah, 
That's interesting. Do you know people in your life where you're like, you would be better off doing different things? Yeah, I know. I have many friends who are currently doing the physics PhD life. Um, I love them. They're miserable. Mm-hmm. They are obsessed with a toy problem, usually. These are the smartest people I know. Like The smartest people I know are all studying physics or studying math at this level. Some of them are like, oh, I want to do this so I can be a quant and make a billion dollars. And yeah. that's that's great. Mm-hmm. But these are also the people who like stay up all night reading textbooks, and I've taken math classes with them and fallen behind and watched them. Yeah, but but they're essentially given shiny toys, shiny objects to yeah, play with. Exactly, and that way they never turn their problems to because because it takes a really intelligent and then it takes an intelligent mind in certain ways, and then they need to have like a broad understanding of the world. They need yeah. to like be learning about a broad range of subjects so that they can kind of make the connections. And help us think through things differently. But we're basically taking people with a certain kind of intelligence and then making them more autistic in a way. Yeah, that, that is what's happening. And like the theoretical <laughs> physics meat grinder is like a really, it seems, I've, I've never been in it. I would, I would not go in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems like a really great way to like, like gain some like learned helplessness too. Like if you spend all of your time like being like abused by your supervisor and being told everything you're doing is largely like 100% theoretical and you can never know enough and you need to like stretch your brain to understand 5D space. Like you're not going to, you're going to Sounds like they're getting domed. Yeah. You're you're never going to be able to do anything with your... (laughs) You're never going to find the next quark. I don't even know what... (laughs) Yeah, whatever they're doing. The next quark. Yeah. Whatever it is. Okay. Um, wild. So, like, do you know who Richard Feynman is? Yeah. Or was? Um, so it feels like he's the kind of guy where it was like, oh, hey, you have this really intelligent brain, but you're able to step outside of that and study a broad range of things. And then, I mean, at least just in his time, he was writing really cool books and really helping people understand physics and stuff. But, like, so if you're talking about people like that, who, if they should have more of an ability to like live a well-rounded life and then think about other problems besides shiny quarks. For sure. I think Feynman, and there's nothing wrong with studying physics. Like Feynman's yeah. lectures are, are great. Like mm-hmm. He's a great writer. I wish there were, I hope we have Richard Feynman too in mm-hmm. our midst somewhere. Um, and I wish that we had the Richard Feynman of metaphysics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Richard Feynman of metaphysics. Basically that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Do you have, like, an idea of what would happen if we did? I think that, like, I don't, I think that, like, if you, like, there are definitely people out there who are, like, oh, like, if everyone was exposed to, like, whatever, that usually it's Marx and Hegel from a Mm -hmm. young age that we would, you know, we would have a different government structure, our state capacity would look different, or whatever. I think that is potentially true. I don't really feel ready to make that claim. I do think people would think like harder and like more critically about the world and that usually leads to like a better world. Because what we basically need when you say the Feynman of metaphysics and or someone who has, um, st- you know, studied Marx and Hegel and stuff like we need people who can popularize their ideas to it, com- like uh, make them kind of update them, make them fit with our world. And then popularize them to the masses in a way that they'll understand and appreciate. Because, I mean, that's what Feynman was able to do with physics. So if you're talking about someone who's intelligent enough to make those ideas 
coherent and accessible. The important piece there is also, like, not only to make them accessible, but also, like, the messaging around, like, this is what, what, you know, if you are smart and enterprising and want to, like, do the most high-impact thing you can with your time, this is, like, a place to go. Yeah. Yeah, like, changing the... So, it's changing the theoretical framework of society does actually, if you think about it that way, like, that seems like the coolest... That's the coolest work you could do, and it's a lot cooler than studying the theoretical framework of an atom. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All the quark work (laughs) or whatever. Um, Yeah. It's it's all this, like, nerdy, high-end, shiny object stuff that people are doing. Exposing themselves to these, like, noxious chemicals or whatever, too, in these labs. Just for, like, yeah, this kind of fringe luxury science. Yeah. And when they could be using their big brains to reshape society in a way that where people could really like thrive yeah. on the planet together. And it's not their fault. They're, they're literally the smartest people. They've just been like put in this apparatus. That's like, this yeah. is where the smart people go. This is what smart people do. So, um, would you say that like, cause, cause maybe there is some amount of, conspiracy on some level to get these people distracted so that they're not uh, but maybe there isn't maybe it's just the way that capitalism functions on its own i mean who knows but you're would you just say to people who are really math science oriented really intelligent really like top level academics just hey please do what like should they when they enter school should they be english majors or what are you thinking i mean i think it it depends i think like if if I were in the top 1%, I wish, I feel like a lot changed for me when I read The Phenomenology of Spirit, which mm-hmm. is like Hegel's foundational work. Um, that one's kind of long. You could read The Science of Logic. Um, like, I think just like exposing yourself to those ideas early and being open to like what they mean is really important. I don't think you need to change your major. And I also don't blame people. Like, you need money to, to live. It mm-hmm. makes sense that you study what will give you money. Um, but you can also be a little bit more broad with what you're studying. Exactly. You okay. don't have, and if you have the privilege not to, like, you don't fall for the psyop. Become a comedian. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, well, I mean, become a comedian, but also I wish that I had gotten some, I wish that, like, instead of even being more academic, I had gotten some kind of concrete skill when I was really young mm-hmm. that would be easy to, like, just be a plumber and then do whatever you want. Right. Be a plumber and a theoretical physicist slash society restructure or whatever, but something that can like something that you can do that doesn't destroy your soul where you don't have to work for someone where that's in a, some a situation that's morally dubious, um, where you're doing something practical and real, but that pays well, something timeless. And it's then, holy, right? You're doing, yeah. you're doing work for money. Right. That work isn't part of it. Like a, like a maybe you're part of a union or a part of a corporation but you're not like in an industrial complex as deeply mm-hmm. i don't know maybe i don't know if they have sales reps that con you into selling people worse pipes or something but yeah. in general <laughs> hopefully not that you could maybe live like a, a very reasonable life as a plumber and then do whatever you want on the side which is yeah studying the highest level of physics but also figuring out how you could um what we should actually do to change society. And that's like a beautiful way to live in like a capitalist society yeah. and like continue, like sustainably live that way. It can be easy. I think people will sometimes be like, well, just take, you know, why don't you take six months off and read Hegel and then come back with a, with a treatise and go from there. But mm-hmm. that, that isn't something most people can do. Yeah. 
Well, or people can do more than they think they can, but Mm -hmm. people get locked into bills and whatnot. For sure. You make a commitment and you're stuck in it. Yeah. Which is an annoying aspect of our capitalist society is all the payments people have to be making on things. I was about to say, and then you need to pay your seven payments middlemen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So. Hmm. It's actually, there's so many business, even in healthcare, if you look at like most of the innovation right now in healthcare, it's like almost all payment side on, at least in venture. Oh, really? Yeah. Which is like so disappointing. Like we have more capacity than we've ever had for, you know, like improving medical outcomes. And we instead are like pouring money into how to most effectively broker insurance rates. Ugh. But that's the thing that's the most disappointing about our society is like how much waste there is where we're not really producing anything for each other. We just have all these jobs that are pushing numbers around. Yeah. I mean, it it feels like we're like, just like you're like signing up for a jobs program. Like that's what physics feels like to me, like a jobs program. Right. There's jobs programs for liberals. There's jobs programs for conservatives, whatever. It's like, whether it's the military or it's physics, right. These are just jobs programs, keeping people busy, keeping things pushed around, keeping the kind of, um, the appearances of our economy looking good because we got to have growth and we got to, you know, yeah, like the DOD contractor black hole. (laughs) What is that? Just like of how much money the, we pour into like DOD contract shops for projects that'll never launch. Mm -hmm. It's like a way of keeping people patriotic and busy, patriotic and busy. Nothing else. Yeah. Who's running this country? You know, I don't know. Honestly, I know I have friends who are starting DOD contract businesses because it's so, it's like so much money. It's where you just get the money. You just get money and you solve hard technical problems. Again, smart people solving like literally theoretical problems. Yeah. And that, but these theoretical problems are ones that we don't really need solved. Maybe. I mean, I think it is like in the U.S.'s best interest to have like the best aircraft carrier and the best drone. Like I understand why we invest yeah. money in this way, but if that was exclusively what we were optimizing for, we would like, we would have like the state lab and you would only work at that lab, which we like the FFRDC system kind of does, but even those are so FFRDC useful. federally funded research and development center. Oh. So like MIT has like a Lincoln labs, J John Hopkins has a lab and they're funded by the government, but they're associated with the university. Mm-hmm. A lot of physics PhDs work here, actually. Oh, okay. Um, and they're doing, like, largely theoretical work, but it's all DOD-funded. Mm-hmm. Some of it is pragmatic. Some of it is, we're testing this thing. Yeah. But. Yeah. How many really, really, really intelligent people do we have who are just working on theoretical defense? Theoretical defense are, like, how, how can we stop the, like, if some interferer was to spoof GPS in this location at this mm-hmm. time... How can we, like, there are so many people who are, like, taking this tiny toy problem and then dedicating their whole life to it. Right. Which, it's like, I'm glad there are some people making sure GPS is going to be okay. Cause yeah, G- be GPS screwed. is not, not great. <laughs> yeah. I would be screwed if we lose GPS uh, on our phones, if that ever happens. I'm... <laughs> You can set up a GPS beacon at home. Really? It's it's really it's actually really bad. Um, this is off topic, but like if you go, like you can set up a GPS beacon. Like planes and stuff are really mm-hmm. easily spoofed by G- or like sensitive to spoofing in GPS. Oh. So at least like when I worked on this five or six years ago, maybe it's changed. But a lot of military 
planes if they can't they'll either use like military gps or they'll just use dead reckoning mm-hmm. so they're like oh like we've accelerated this far for this long so this is where we are mm-hmm. because the gps signal is so garbage oh wow yeah gps is not that great but it's nice yeah. for getting to places. it works yeah it works for most of my purposes but yeah interesting all right well what do you think is uh is there anything that if you're not in the top one percent of this intelligence, whatever, if you're, if you're already in the humanities, if you're already, whatever, like what can the rest of us do to help the smartest people be able to use their intelligence in ways that are really going to benefit society? That's a great question. I think like for me, I don't think I'm in the top 1%, but I have like a, I have a big interest in philosophy and the humanities. I try to read a lot. I try to write a lot. I try to talk about it a lot. Um, I think there are some really good groups doing like interesting critical theory accessibility work. Um, like Acid Horizon does like a great podcast um, and discussion groups around like they're reading Deleuze right now, which is I think really foundational. Is a podcast Acid Horizon? Is that what you said? Acid Horizon. They do acid. They they definitely do acid, <laughs> <laughs> but they mainly um, they do like great like they have a Patreon and they do discussion groups mm-hmm. and things like that. I was going to say, I think, um, yeah, psychedelics and theoretical physics go really well together. Oh, a lot of theoretical physicists are also doing psychedelics. Hardcore psychedelics people. There's a big, like, intersection of people who are doing, like, quote-unquote, consciousness research Mm -hmm. and theoretical physics. Yeah. Um, And I do think, like, if you're doing consciousness research, you should probably be doing psychedelics. Yeah, it'd be weird not to. Like, if you really are trying to study consciousness like very fully you should be using all the tools at your disposal for sure and psychedelics are a huge tool for that yeah so basically those of us who aren't in the one percent should give hegel and podcast recommendations and like give books and podcasts to our when we know nerds and psychedelics and psychedelics probably (laughs) yeah some of these quantitative um finance people probably aren't doing enough psychedelics probably just cocaine Probably just cocaine. Yeah. Yeah. So get your friends off the cocaine and more onto psychedelics if you know any of these nerds. Yeah. I like to have practical advice for the listener, you know. I like mean? that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Distract your even if you're not even if you're not the person who's gonna solve the problems, you can get you can give a book or some drugs or at least a podcast rec. And also, like, nerd friends. it's one of those things where, like, even, like, sure, like, Richard Feynman is great and physics PhDs are great, but there are also all of these people who are working in physics who aren't in the top 1% who, like, similarly could contribute elsewhere, sure. even if they weren't in the top 1%. I think for me, the thing that I think is, like, most offensive is this, like, state apparatus pushing the smartest people to the dumbest problems. But, yeah. Yeah. So you think we just, we actually have enough... STEM people, though. I mean, we, like, we don't... We've got enough people who are um, able to do the math and science that we need for our actual needs. Yeah. I mean, if you want to pursue STEM, do it. I hope that if I have kids, they never have to learn how to code. But, uh, really? Yeah. That's so funny. It's like, I feel like I wish I had continued learning how to code, but... I wish I could forget how to code sometimes. Really? But... The grass is always green. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You wish you could forget how to code. What do you mean by that? I think I, I do. I do like my job. I do like engineering work. And I think that I wish that I had thought about doing anything else earlier. But it was always like, oh, like you, you're good at math. 
uh, don't like forget about reading. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You should focus on math because that's what'll you know help you get like a good job. Yeah, but you read a lot. I read a lot now. Yeah. You feel like there was a period where you weren't reading a lot, or I imagine like I read a lot when I'm not working or mm-hmm. doing work related, like studying or practice. Yeah, like if I could invest all of that time into reading, mm-hmm. that would be different. Do you have like a dream life that you would be living if? You weren't programming? If I weren't programming, I think, like, I think it would be hard just because of how, like, toxic academia is, but it's, like, easy to dream of reading and writing all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely, like, taking a week off and just read for the week, and that, that <laughs> then, like, I could do this. We're going to need the theoretical people to restructure society so that we can spend more time reading and writing. And it's true. I think if we cut out so much of the middleman bullshit of, like, and, and paper pushing and everything that happens in our economy, we would all be able to do that thing. I, yeah. I don't think we need more than like eight hours a week. Of and with work like inbound people. automation, like mm-hmm. this is becoming more and more of a thing of like, what does like a state controlled job, like what does a jobs program look like? Or what does universal basic income look like? Yeah. Like, and it, I think. Yeah, we need smarter people figuring out how to do. UBI type things. Everyone has all these complaints about it, but then it's like, maybe the problem isn't. The idea itself, the problem is how do we actually yeah. incentivize people to still live good lives, not just spend it on drugs and, and fast food, whatever, but how can we get... Yeah. We need a lot of changes to happen kind of all at once, but the fact of automation is happening, and we do need to figure out, not only need to figure out how to give people meaning, purpose, a place in the society, is a place in, you know, the, in whatever the economy looks like, um, but we could figure out how to share all of the abundance yeah. and like live in harmony with the planet if we figure out some real changes and so that we could all just work. You know, maybe everyone takes a shift or a, a couple of shifts a week of work that they do, making smoothies for people or, you know, plumbing. <laughs> plum and plumbing or whatever it is. But yeah, like. Yeah, and I think it's so like ugly that the messaging to smart young people about this topic is often like oh like automation is coming it's going to be harder for people to find fulfilling work so make sure that you are studying computer science so that Mm. you can continue to be like march forward the automation Mm. rather than think about like what life could be like that's really funny automation is coming so make sure you're the people who are making the automation yeah make sure you're the person Causing the Make problem. Make sure the that, instrument of yeah, the instrument of destruction the, of destruction instead of figuring out. Not that, but not that automation is bad. It's just yeah, automation is largely good. It's like, largely it good. Frees up more time for us to solve more interesting problems if we use it that way instead of it just making a few people richer and the rest of us into these weird slaves. Yeah, of them. So that seems like a big, and then people know that that's a big problem. How do we make sure that we're sharing the wealth of automation instead of just becoming slaves those answers are in marks yeah. but we're told not to read it because we need to we need to read a coding book or whatever instead right so what you're really sneaking in here is that everyone should read marks <laughs> uh, i think everyone should read hegel and okay if you're going to read one book if you're going to have if you're going to have these nerds read one book <laughs> nerds read one book mm-hmm. i think i always tell people to read the phenomenology of spirit i do agree that it is like it's a hard book mm-hmm. like it's hard to read i think it's very reasonable to read Capital instead. I think, I, I think like people who read Marx often go through like a baby Marxist era and mm-hmm. then like start to develop more nuanced opinions as they read more. 
So sometimes people who just read Capital like come back with like different conclusions and what I would like I would hope that you would read Capital and then keep reading. Here's what I'm thinking. You should read Marx though. Everyone should read Marx. Everyone should read Hegel. I've only like read snippets of things and like books about those things and whatever. But um maybe how long is phenomenology of spirit? It's like four hundred pages. Okay. Maybe I'll make that what I do with the Patreon slash Yeah. Yeah, not What's the Substack? That's the other mm-hmm. thing. Sorry. I'm trying to move toward Substack and less Patreon. So, um, but Patreon just comes naturally to the mouth. But I, maybe I'll do that for my Substack is I'll like, I don't know if, I think you can do this where I could just read it. I'll just read it and then do like a little discussion group type thing. Yeah. If you um, have people, I'm also happy to get involved. I love talking about Hegel. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So maybe we can do some little bonus episodes. Um, we can zoom those where, yeah, we have a little discussion group about. Yeah. And I can find introductory work too. Cause it is, it is like a big ramp up when you first yeah. start it. Okay. Yeah. If you have introductory stuff, that'd be great. The first time I read it, I it was during COVID and I spent like a month just, just reading it mm-hmm. which, again. Like we need a new pandemic so that everyone can focus on their Hegel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. The next, the next, uh, attention span. Uh, I do widening. think Hegel is very foundational. I think that most books are just Hegel restated. Okay. I don't like, I think there's no new reading. Some people will be like, Oh, this book is a new reading of Hegel. And I'm like, there's no new reading of Hegel. It's just reading Hegel. Yeah. Okay. I like this. I like, cause I like homework. Um, so, and there's, and you know, we've had, uh, Freddie DeBoer came on the podcast and like was talking about, and I was asking him about Marxism and trying to understand what, what we're really talking about. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that was good. It was a little introduction, but now I, yeah, I haven't actually done a lot of this reading myself. So uh, I don't know if I'm in the top 1% of anything, but I will, if I'm asking other people to do it, then I should read it too. So yeah, if you have little warm up books, that would be good. Yeah. But then I really like reading aloud um, and it helps me like to be motivated to focus. So I'm just going to make it a thing where I'll read because a lot of people don't like to read. It's the, you know, as Joe Rogan says, he's too dumb to read, but he can listen to the books or whatever. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, if you don't want to read, then if I'm reading it out loud, you can just listen and then we can have little discussion group moments afterwards, whether it's me talking or you talking or other people. Um, but we'll really discuss the reading and that way you get a little, you get more out of it. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. It's a great way to engage for sure. Sweet. All right. Tell your smart friends. Tell your smart friends. I don't know. I feel like this is simple cause I'm not going to, ha- I don't, <laughs> I, I mean, I can try to think if there's like, do I want to argue against this? And I'm like, I don't, it seems like we have so much good technology in the world, like and there are hard technical problems left to solve. Like we right. need to figure out we're going to run out of water, like clean water. Yeah, I want people to be solving those issues. Yeah, the water, the energy, those those two are big and ones. And that comes naturally when growth. you understand like what is actually sustainable and important to work on. Right. And so that's, that's part of it. Is like we need to spend a moment restructuring where our priorities of what we are working on. And then we'd have so many more smart people actually solving the problems we really need instead of just being involved in pushing numbers around exactly. of whose money is where. Yeah. All right. I'm down. I don't think I have anything to argue. <laughs> I think we just did it. I think we just came up with a great idea for the sub stack, which I've been trying to figure out 
what I really want to do for that. And I think that's great. This merges my desire to read books out loud. Cause that's what I do. Like anytime I'm in a relationship, I'm like, can I read to you? Can I read to you? <laughs> can we, can we start reading to each other, please? Thanks. Um, so now, yeah, I'm just going to start reading Hegel or whatever warm ups you give me. And that'll be patreon.com slash PNB. Wait, politically NB. Politically. <laughs> patreon.com slash politically NB and politically NB dot substack.com sweet that way i don't have to do it in the intro outro cool good all right thanks yeah wait you never introduce yourself oh <laughs> let's do it that way do you want to introduce yourself however you want to, to sure hi i'm anusha anything else i like to read <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> okay yeah you can be as anonymous as you want That's yeah good. <laughs> all right thanks anusha <laughs>
this topic or to any of the other topics that we've had, then holler at me. I would love to do another response episode like the one that we did for the trans woman non-offending pedophile. That was fun. I really love a response episode. Okay. Or if you have an idea for another episode of something else you want to argue for society, then holler at me about that too. Okay. I'm getting a bunch of texts I can't wait to respond to, so I'm going to let y'all go. Thanks for listening. Big thanks to our producer, Raymond Cabrera, our art guy, Caleb Sexton, and our sponsor, Texas Yurt Co. at texasyurts.com.